a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. Jenny, I'm so excited. Today we have Michael and Christina Gilchrist, and they reached out to me. They heard of our podcast, and they thought, hey, we've got a story to tell. I saw a video clip of her of Christina. She's got some kidney issues. I saw her speaking at a kidney uh, event, and she, her story was so amazing. I was immediately hooked, and I wanted to share it with all of our viewers. So I'm so excited to have both Michael and Christina Gilchrist on, and it really is a team, and I see that from what you guys shared with me. Tell me, introduce yourselves. Who wants to go first? I'm Michael Gilchrist, and I'm Christina Gilchrist. And so I'll just kind of give you a brief story of what my life has consisted of so far. Um, When I was 12, I found out I had a kidney disease. It was really minor. It probably wasn't going to affect me much. So when I was 22, I got pregnant. And during that pregnancy, I developed toxemia, which is preeclampsia. And I had seizures. And during those seizures, I lost my eyesight. So I'm legally blind. Oh, my goodness. And Wrapped up my kidney disease and I went into kidney failure. So my, I had two brothers that were identical matches. So I was really lucky. And one of them, my oldest brother, Brian, ended up giving me a kidney on December 9th of 2008. And I ended up rejecting that kidney within a couple years. Oh and goodness. so then I had to go in center dialysis. And during this period of time, I was a single mom and it was hard. I was living on zero all the time. I had no energy. I was trying to do soccer practice and dance and, and I did it and it took everything out of me. So for five years, I was on zero and I got an amazing call that I had another transplant. So this time it was a cadaveric donor, which is a deceased person. And so on May 7th of 2016, I got my second kidney and this one lasted That's why I got into the DMs. That's when I met Mike. After I got this transplant, I was so excited to live for the first time, really. Yeah. And so So she started started rejecting that one. Um, We did therapies every Wednesday. She did chemo, drugs, pretty much every drug that they could throw at the wall and see what would stick. There was one that was like almost $200,000. They got candy delivered in a in a bag that was locked and all that stuff. Nobody could touch it. And so she rejected it because we were wondering what these, what this medicine was doing to 
Cobody in the long term. So we started doing, she started doing dialysis again. And she- Well, at that point, I was, I was not willing to go back in center because in center did, it just made me feel like I was barely living, if living at all. Can you and- tell me, sorry, I, I don't know a lot of people with um, this level of kidney disease in center, meaning you're going into the center for oh. the dialysis or you're inpatient or tell me if you're not in center, what's the other option at home dialysis? I imagine. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. So, um, so in a center is actually in a dialysis center where you go three days a week. You go for roughly three and a half to four hours each time and you do dialysis. But now they've come up with options that you can go home on dialysis. And there are two forms of dialysis at home. There is one called peritoneal dialysis. And that's when you have a catheter in your stomach and a sugar water gets put into your stomach and that helps clean your blood and pull fluids. And then there's also a home hemodialysis which is actually the same dialysis as you do in center, but you do it at home. So you do it more often and you run the machine slower and it is less invasive on your body. And by less invasive, I mean completely less invasive on your body. Yeah, it's like you were saying, the typical dialysis patient, you look at them and they look on the brink of death. You know, they're, they're, they're absorbing water and it just... It's just not a way to live. And it's because they are. Like, um, I always like to tell patients that I talk to, um, a person with healthy kidneys gets 168 hours of dialysis in a week. When you go in center, you're lucky to get between nine and ten and a half hours. And so that is the bare minimum you can have to survive. And so you're literally getting that treatment to make it to your next treatment. And that's it. So what does the home dialysis look like? Uh, I I can actually show you right now. Oh, how exciting. Oh, wow. Uh, Okay, so let's, yeah, describe it for those who can't see the video, if you will. Oh, okay. So basically it's a, it's a unit that it's called the pure flow and it makes the dialysate. It takes about four hours to make it. And then the machine is portable. So we push it into the bedroom and she does dialysis while she's sleeping. There's two forms of at home. There's at-home dialysis where you do it just during the day, and then there's nocturnal, and there's additional sensors and stuff like that that we hook up to her, so that if there's any blood leaks or anything like that, all, the alarms all go go off. But she does dialysis for seven and a half hours every other night, wow. and she just does it while she's sleeping. And that's that's where in center they look just so sick, and it's because they are. You know, the toxins are building up in their body. And that's why we express so much about going home, doing home dialysis, because no matter how she feels, I can go do a treatment right now. You know, mm-hmm. if she wants to go out with girlfriends and have fun and, you know, have a couple of drinks, she can call me and say, hey, I want to I want to do treatment tonight. Get it ready. And I can have the machine ready for when she comes home. We can do it as much or as least as we want. Yeah. Oh, that is so amazing. Like a lot more flexibility. I love that you yeah, get and, to do it at night, which means you get right. your, your hours of your day back You're too. Not just sitting in a, a and as a chair. mom, I mean, we all need every hour of the day we can get, yeah. right? Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, but so when I when I found out I was rejecting the second time, I I went dialysis center shopping, and I had to go to five different dialysis centers before I went to my original doctor and just said, "Hey, help me do this." 
And he was like, okay, let's figure it out. And the reason I was told no is because of my eyesight. You've got to keep things sanitary and you've got to be very safe about it. And I just said, hey, I can do this. I know I can. And so I got him to help me and we figured out little tricks that we would use for for me to use my hands to actually roll together to connect the lines and stuff like that. So it was sanitary and I was still visually impaired. And so I ended up doing PD on my own completely. I set it up. I broke it down everything for three years. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, wow. Yep. Yep. For three years. And those years changed my life. That's I, I got to continue living while doing dialysis. I, I fed up solar panels. We have some property up at Salado, and it's just a local up by Huntsville. And I set up solar panels so we can go up and do dialysis up, up while we're camping. Um, pretty much, I want to make sure that anything she wants to do, we make sure we can do it. She's got that awesome. And so then her PD failed, and we had to, do, we had to start doing home hemo. Yeah. Which is home hemodialysis. So, so the PD is the liquid in your stomach and the home hemo the is blood. the blood. So here's my question. It sounds like one of these things maybe works for a while. Like you had the kidney transplant and for a year or two, maybe you're okay. And then you can do the PD type of treatment and that works for a while. And then it, then your body just says, nope, not anymore. And you've got to find a new treatment option. Is that fair to yeah. say? You're totally right. So PD dialysis, is not a long-term thing. Everybody's completely different. Some people last can last up to 15 years doing it. Some people get a year and a half. I got three, which is pretty darn good. So that's one of those where it's kind of just a transition to learn how to do the hemo at home. And transplants the same way. You can get a transplant and for some reason it can reject almost immediately. Or we know people that have had transplants for 20 plus years. Yeah. So. yeah, it's all, we always say, once you're in kidney failure, once you're in kidney disease world, you're in there for the rest of your life. Even if you get a kidney, you are still a kidney patient who is being treated on a regular basis. There's also some stats that when you do, when you're on dialysis, you have roughly, what, a five-year expectancy of living, but that doesn't include home. She is the healthiest that she probably has ever been. She looks amazing. Yeah. I, know. I wish everybody, I wish everybody yeah, could see the video. She's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. We need to take a break. We'll ah. be right back. And I can't wait to hear about your guys' story. Okay. Okay. We're going to take a break. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.
we're back. And um, I'm so excited to talk to you guys. You're just an adorable couple. Uh, both Jenny and I are single and um, love hearing stories about love and reconnection or or how how you came to meet. So you were a single mom. You're on dialysis. You know, you're absolutely beautiful and you're gorgeous. Um, but it's, you know, I've been involved in, in the like singles community for the last five years and people have a lot of ideas or beliefs about what stops them from being able to be wanted or lovable. And I would say that it would have been very easy for you to say, no, one's going to want to, I have a child. I've been a single mom. I, I, I have kidney disease. I'm, I, I have too much. For somebody to be willing to take on. And yet, this man slides into your DMs. Tell us your story. Well, and I just happened to think she was hot. So I <laughs> well, sent her a message. But <laughs> she, she literally never checks her, checks her Facebook. Yeah, I never do because of my eyesight. It's just really hard to do. It's got to be really hard. After yeah. I've gotten that kidney, I, for the first time since my daughter was born, I was like, Hey, Ty, will you help me get on Facebook and message people, you know? And he had sent me a message that day. Oh, and wow. so my my adorable little girl actually texted my message back to him. Okay, and how old was your daughter? Right now, she's she's so, 18 going on 19. I mean, how old was she when she was, she was doing your DMing for 12? you? When she was she like 12. 12. Oh, that's and cute. then I, I'm a single father as well. And I had a daughter that was roughly the same age. She was about 14. So pretty much she fell in love with my daughter. She moved in first. And then I kind of just tagged along. Yeah. <laughs> he lived with her for about two months before Mike moved in. That was finally, uh, why do I even have a house? My daughter doesn't even live here anymore. So that's great when the kids get along in a blended yeah, family. The, Cause that's not always so, common. So is that what happened first is that the girls really just became good friends and, I think all of us just became good friends. Yeah. Because we, we just, she wanted to do all this stuff. And I don't care. I'll go do it. She wants to drive a truck. I'll take her on the mountains. You can drive a truck. So you got a blind chick up in the mountains driving a truck. So be careful. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and if she wants to go camping, if she wants to, and and I I do it mostly to make a mom cringe a little bit and all that stuff. Because I'll fall <laughs> on the back of my motorcycle and we're going we only go the speed limit of if, course. if a mom is listening. But, you know, it's just one of those where, well, if she wants to, yeah, let's go do it. Oh, that's I love awesome. that you're not letting what other people might see as her limits get in the way. Like, there, there's and no that, limit. That, there's and no I keep limit. forgetting that you're blind. <laughs> I've, and that, I've yeah. that. And that's when, and that's why I started our support group, Living on Dialysis, because I pushed the envelope so much with people uh, I'm like, well, we want to go do this. We want to do this. How do I do this up in the mountains? And like, you can't, you can't. I'm like, yeah, we can. There's no reason why we can't. Yeah. We can put gloves on. We can sanitize. So we did home hemo up on our deck using a generator. Wow. And you know, it, it's quickly become this little group that I started la- last year about this time. It exploded to over 5,000 people. You know, we are traveling we we travel all over the United States. We went to Washington D.C. Yep. talked to Mitt Romney, Mike Lee, basically to push kidney 
uh, kidney kidney funding and wellness and stuff like that. And, you know, and we traveled to Idaho, we traveled all over the state talking to dialysis clinics. And it's basically when, when you see like this older couple, because we're not the typical dialysis couple. Yeah. You know, we'll, the typical, when you think of dialysis, you think of like an old couple and stuff like that. And when you're talking to that couple, the, like the man, he, he's just retired. He's devastated because he's like, this is supposed to be the best years of my life. And I start showing pictures of Christina on a motorcycle doing dialysis up in the mountains. And you can see that light switch of, oh my gosh, we can do this. So, let's, so and that's what we get to do is we get to help them and show them how we did it and get them back living again. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that for a minute. I always love when someone has their own difficulty in life and turn that into helping other people facing maybe a similar difficulty. You mentioned you started this group. There's now 5,000 of you or something. Tell us about that process. Do you meet in person? Is it a virtual connection? And how did you kind of go about bringing those people together? And maybe what what resilience have you either seen in yourselves or in those that are now part of this group with you as we talk about building the muscle and the tools of resilience? So when I when I started the group, I, I was tired of getting all of my answers after something happened. You know, like for a medical procedure or something like that. We're like, well, why didn't I know about this? Why didn't I know about this? And I told him, I'm like, I'm going to start this group. And I already know she's hot and her story is addictive. And I told her, you're going to explode on the Internet. And we I started with posting a picture of who did, her doing dialysis on a motorcycle. We got caught in traffic going to Wendover and we had to exchange our fluid. So we pulled over. We, we did what we had to do. And. There was, there was this group on Facebook where we quickly we quickly got known as the dialysis couple. She got known as the blind chick living, and I got known as just the caretaker. And our story was basically, listen, if you want to go home and you want to keep having fun, if a blind chick and an aircraft mechanic can do this, then anybody can. And that was basically all, you know, because we usually hear, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm like, really? A blind chick's doing it. You know, let's, <laughs> no let's get you home. There's absolutely For no real. reason. I love it. It's a no excuse. Like, yeah. there's yeah. no excuse. And, and, and with the group, I told, you know, and, and it's family members, it's friends, it's dialysis patients, it's the care partners. Because one in seven suffer from kidney disease. And so the more you can know about this, and we, we just run, we run into people that are in like stage three or their kidneys are getting worse and worse. And we're like, okay, well, let's, let's get you watching these videos. Let's get you watching YouTube, watch our videos of how we set up so that you actually have a good idea of when this starts. You don't even have to go in central dialysis. You can go straight home. And I, I do think one of the coolest things about having this page is we've been able to connect people that are in similar situations. For example, we had two women that were pregnant while in kidney failure, which is crazy rare. And we were able to get them in contact. And now they're best friends with each other. We had two beautiful babies in January born and, and like just an amazing outcome. And both of those people were told you shouldn't have this baby. And they came on the group. They reached out and said, hey, is anybody has anybody gone through this? So then... I send out a post or I know a couple of people and you just network and say, hey, get in contact with this person 
And the first lady that had the baby was communicating with the second one, you know, just going to doctor appointments and yep. keeping people up to date. And, you know, you do more dialysis. So there's, there's ways you can do it. And that's kind of what we say is don't tell us we can't. Tell, tell us, us how we can. can. Oh, we even have, you guys we have are some so beautiful kiddos. I oh, love it. So, you guys are amazing. We have, some of the most, we have some of the most beautiful kiddos that are in kidney failure. And we do little things like we've put out their address to people on their birthdays. So they get birthday cards from their whole community of people that are going through what they're going through. And there was a little girl named Faith and she was six and she was on dialysis and she wanted to go to a fun zone. She wanted to have a birthday party. So out of these 5,000 people, I kind of said, Hey, let's explode her house with the birthday birthday cards and presents. And then I called, it was in Oklahoma, I think. So I called the local jump zones and play zones and said, Hey, I'm going to send a family to you guys. Take care of them. Tell me how much it costs, but I hope you guys, you know, just show this kid how to have fun. And they ended up sponsoring and oh, gave them pizza so and a cake. And, and it's been really cool. And, you know, when we we did a sub for Santa during Christmas, you yeah. know, we, we found, we I do it locally as well, but we found some dialysis families that just need a little bit of help. And we just got them Christmas and you know, and every time we travel somewhere, like we went to Washington, we have people come and meet us for coffee. Yeah. So whatever state we go to, we went to Idaho and met up with a couple of people. So any state and we're told constantly, hey, we need to come here. You need to come here. And we plan on hopefully hitting every single one. So. Okay. So what's the Facebook group called? If there's someone listening saying, oh my goodness, I want to be part of this community. How do they find you? You find the group by hashtag blind chick living. And a blind year ago, I didn't even know. Living. I didn't even know what blind. that was. Hashtag blind chick living. Thank you. And the, so the search will just explode with just videos of hope, you know. And and the dialysis group. The dialysis group is actually called Living Exclamation Point Exclamation Point on Dialysis. And you'll see her face on the main page. It's her doing dialysis up on up in the mountains. But I I just tell people. And not even patients, but anybody that had a glamour on dialysis or wants to know more about it, get on there because you have stories just like her. There's another chick, she goes by the dialysis diva, and she's been doing dialysis for 35 years. Wow. And, and she's 41. Yeah. And, and, <sighs> and she's phenomenal. She, and she was an inspiration for Christina. And you just find all these connections. And she was, she had some hospital stuff um, back in January, mm-hmm. not kidney related, but um, I was able to get on the group and say, hey, they want to give her this medicine and this medicine. Has anybody used it? What have you experienced with this? And the group just kind of explodes with, with questions. And we do disclaim at the very beginning, we are not doctors. Sure. Always follow up with your You're doctors just getting other and people's experiences or and, opinions. Yeah. And, and. I like I like it because I tell people I I dumbify dialysis. They teach us how to do it, and then I spin it to where okay, they have to teach you this way because of medical procedures and stuff like that. And then I show you how to actually do it as a normal person. So. Yeah. Okay, here's my question: Anytime we talk about medicine, medical treatment, medical care, medical conditions, the pop what pops into my mind is finance, money, insurance, cost. So. 
I don't know. Again, I, I do not have a kidney disease and, and no one in my immediate circle does. So I haven't been intimately involved with someone, whether you're going to the center or doing the two different types of home or on the side of the road with a motorcycle. Does your health insurance cover the the equipment, the machine? Like I think of a diabetic needs insulin and kind of ongoing supplies and equipment and medication. Let's talk about that side of it, especially in, in today's healthcare world in America is living on dialysis incredibly expensive in order to be able to live and have the kind of access to this dialysis you need? Or is it something that, hey, really, once you got the machine, you're good to go? Are we okay to talk well, about the money side of it? This is why we went to Washington, D.C., was to do more preventative care. Because if you do preventative care, it could be a blood test that catches all of this beforehand. But dialysis is extremely, extremely expensive. And kind of how it works is once you go into kidney failure, you now are a social security candidate. And so you can get on Medicare. But a lot of people, their spouses have insurance through work. So you're dealing with the same co-pays. You're dealing with the same out-of-pocket. You're dealing with basically the same as everyone else. But you pretty much hit that out-of-pocket max within January. (laughs) And and it's kind of like, well... It's just like with prescriptions and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll be complaining and doing everything I can to find an alternative because yes, a pill is only $60, but that's 60 times 20 pills or a copay that we have to do three times a week. Sure. So Medicare and insurance and all that stuff helped out a ton, but the nickel and diming and it adds up. It adds up. And the good thing about her being home is it's less doctor visits because she's healthier. healthier. She feels better. So when we do, we have to check in with our clinic once a month and we can do a televisit. We, and we just call in and say, oh, she's great. Uh, this is this and this and this. And I send off her lab in the mail. And it, so, yes, dialysis is extremely expensive. Make sure you always have good insurance. And... But it's doable. I mean, it's 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 just co-pays and prescriptions and well, negotiating. Like you said, maybe you then meet you meet the maximum, you know, out of pocket with your insurance, and by getting the treatment that you need, you're preventing other medical care like trips to the clinic or the ER or worse. And so the treatment and the prevention is clearly more affordable, not not just in terms of your life, but your finances. So thank you for answering that. I was just curious. You know, that, that's a lot of ongoing medical care. The woman you mentioned that's been on dialysis her entire life, you know, that's, it's, it's very expensive. I'm glad there are insurance and, and maybe some of those government programs. And, of course, we hope that you're successful in lobbying to get better care, better treatment, better prevention. So let's take one more break, and we'll come right back. Okay, this has been fascinating and super high energy. You are certainly not running at zero, Christina. Like you said, the, those few years when you were between failed kidneys. Let's talk about the way forward. Sounds like you're in a really good spot. Um, you, you found a way to live on dialysis. You're helping others live on dialysis. You're learning and, and practicing resilience every day. What, what's next? Um, you, you mentioned off air before we got on that you've had these two 
failed kidney transplants, you're not in a huge hurry to go get another one to fail. Uh, what what does your yeah. treatment look like today? What What's the prognosis for the next five to 50 years? Do you just continue business as usual until something goes wrong? Or what's that path ahead look like now that we've seen kind of the path up until now? Yeah, so I think that the most exciting thing is there are new things coming out all the time about dialysis and even transplants make it easier. And so for me, I think there's a lot of hope for the future because yes, I have a disease that's undiagnosed, but it's going to be diagnosed at some point, you know, in the future, they're going to find out, find out what it is. And maybe, maybe I will get a kidney, but I do know if I don't ever get a kidney, I can live on home hemodialysis the rest of my life and live the life I want, be the mom I want, be the wife I want, be the friend I want to be, all of these things. And that's good enough for me. And with dialysis machines, dialysis machines, you know, the reason you have to do it in a clinic because these were huge, huge machines. And with advancements of technology and people like us pushing the envelope saying, no, I want to go do this. I want to go do this. Show me how. The machines are getting smaller and smaller and more portable. You know, I just have to, you know, it's heavy. It's a hundred pound machine, but I throw it in a case, throw it on a plane and they're getting smaller and smaller. So with technology, it's getting better and better. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, to be honest, I think every kidney patient should have hope just knowing that the future is, it's coming. Mm -hmm. It's so amazing. You guys are so inspiring. The energy level, the working relationship, the love between you two, it's really beautiful and it's fun to see. And, and, and I like to kind of say too, that we're just the typical couple. We just happen to do medical as well. Yeah. You know, we have, I mean, have you ever had a silent treatment done dialysis? You know, and it's just kind of happens, Yeah. but you know, we became a stronger, better couple because of it. Cause we can sit and discuss medical and, and I'm probably the only person that can debate what her weight is. And what it should be, you know, any other husband would get in huge trouble. But I sit down and be like, hey, you need to be this this way. Let's take this off. Yeah, I think, all I think you've and... gone up about two kilos. And I'm like, what? I'm like, Do I look better? No, no, no. We're going to take it off. But, you know, it's just one of those, you know, where you can sit and argue about weight and not get in trouble. So. Yeah. <laughs> not every most couple of that can is say water that. retention, I, I imagine, right? Yeah. yeah. Every every day, every time you do treatment, you have to take off liquid. So she takes off between 1.5 to 3 kilos of fluid every time oh, we do that, dialysis. That's roughly, like, it's usually about 3 to 5 pounds. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. A, that's a decent amount. <laughs> that's crazy. I yeah, understand um, from a caretaker's role, uh, when John had cancer, and I was doing his pick lines and his IVs, and it's the same thing, right? And yeah. my husband preferred it to be me rather than the nurses. He, he, oh, I do too, uh, hands down. When she was in the hospital in January, I was just, I mean, I'm, I'm a big guy, tattooed, bald. And I was getting so mad because I can do the treatment better than anybody else. Yeah. But of course, it's in a hospital. They wouldn't let me. So, I mean, I'm pushing the envelope and I'm, you know, you've got a, like I said, bald guy tattooed, yelling, not yelling, but discussing, hey, <laughs> I want you to do it like this and this and this and this. And then once they hear us talk and we have the medical lingo and they're like, oh, you actually know what you're talking about. I'm like, yeah, you need to run it this way. You need to pull this mount off. Yeah. And it, 
those things are slowly changing as well. It's like but I actually I went home from the hospital up twenty two pounds of fluid just because the hospital didn't know how to run my dialysis the way we do. Yeah, and we were telling wow. them get us home, get us home, and we got them home. And in three treatments, I just did them on back on back on back, and I was able to take all that fluid off, and she felt great. That so, is amazing. So so not only are you her partner, you are the preferred and premiered uh, caregiver. And, but it's that and mechanic background that you mentioned. I mean, you almost dismiss that like, hey, I'm just a mechanic. But I don't know that everybody's a mechanic. Like, you know, how I agree. the mechanics and, of that and, and, body and, and, of hers and her equipment and the machine, you're running it as if you're, I mean, that has got to be helpful and like you said, you can take maybe whatever training they give you medically, and then you can put it in layman's terms for other people to say, yeah, but here's how it actually works. And that mechanic mm-hmm. background's got to help. Your mind knows how to think that way to make things work and explain how they work and to get them working. That's huge. It's true. To have a caretaker that's got OCD, <laughs> I have no OCD, and so I'm all over the place. And he is so organized and put together that it works good perfect. match for it each does. other. That yeah. is awesome. I'm excited. I, I, I'd love to go get dinner with you guys. You guys are just. Well, then let's do it. Yeah, he's gonna meet you at the coffee shop in DC or wherever they are next. Okay, where are you going next? They're here in Utah. Uh, Right now, she has some appointments in Salt Lake at some clinics. Yeah, we don't really have anything set up yet for For other states. But it just kind of you know pops up, and they say, "Hey, can you can you do this?" And I look at my calendar, I see if I can take it off, and I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go here. I love this. So it all depends on if, if they want us to. You know, there was a conference in Vegas, and we went to that. And, you know, it just kind of happened to, to walk out. And they had this, like, dance party afterward where <laughs> he was dancing with all of them. And it was a technician's, where they was training technicians how to do dialysis. And they thought, they thought she was one of them. And she, Not one she of their gets the mic and says, hey, I just want to thank you guys. Pretty much it's because of you that I'm alive. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm a dialysis patient and all machines upstairs. So. Yeah. And it's because of home hemo that I can feel like everybody else. And I can get out there and dance my butt off, do my white girl moves all night. If you want to see him. Hashtag blind chick living. Yeah. And again, I had absolutely no idea what any of that stuff was. My kids gave me a crash course on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and now I document. Sounds like, a like you picked it up. Yeah, yeah. You, you really did pick it up. I love some lessons as I'm pushing out my new coaching program. I'm going to need to learn how to do all that stuff. I have so yeah. thoroughly enjoyed having you guys on. Thank you. We have loved being here. Hey, before and I know you we, guys want us to tell you what resilience means yeah, to we us. Want, we want resilience and tools. Like you're, I, I can just listen to you all day and be like, man, you've got this down. How do I take it home? What do I do? Maybe what tools have you developed in, in that resiliency that you can share and, and package for the rest of us to apply? Okay. So first and foremost, my, my idea of resilience is um, never giving up. You never have the option to quit. You just keep going no matter what. And I think for me, one of the biggest reasons I've been able to do this is because I really, I really kind of grab onto people that I love. And I have people in my life that have truly like been my everything at times. And I've had so many reasons to keep living 
that I can't give up. Yeah, and I would say mine is kind of that saying, don't tell me I can't, show me how I can. And pretty much we just push the envelope of don't, you know, if she wants to do it in Vegas with one of her friends, if she wants to take the machine by herself, we will find a way to make that happen. Anything she wants to do, we'll make it happen. And like, if a patient wants to go home, like message us, message anyone, talk to your clinic, talk to your doctor and say, hey, what is this home hemo? How do I learn about this? How do I do it? And for the patient, the number one thing is don't be afraid. This is, this looks like scary stuff and it looks like you're going to screw it up, but you're not getting, you're a human just like they are. You can be trained just as they were. And on the care partner side, the patient usually says they don't want to put their loved ones through this. And with doing in-center dialysis, you already are. We're carrying you into the car because you're cramped up, you're sick. We're carrying you back into the house because you're sick. We are already going through all of this. We're holding your hair while you're puking, we're, you know, all that stuff. So now we're home having the time of our life, checking off bucket list stuff, opposed to all that other stuff. Yeah. So So it's actually a, a better option for that provider, the the partner, rather than the sickly in and out of the center. Hey, let's, yeah, yeah, you got to learn how to hook up the machine. But once you do that, the rest of life can look much more normal. Quote unquote. Yeah, you got it. And it just, like everything else, it just fits into your life and you just make it work. And I noticed getting some of my control back and knowing my numbers and knowing the machine, I'm, I'm better at maintaining my own health and telling my doctors, hey, this is what I want to do, not just saying, tell me what to do. Sure. You and and it was difficult. It's a, uh, it took us about four weeks. I transferred to the graveyards and we went and did training. For about a month and then we're home. Okay, here's a question. I'm sure even in all your positivity and your determination and you're not going to let no be the answer, sometimes you've got to get in a dark spot mentally, emotionally, either of you, both of you. Maybe a tool or a tip, how do you get out of that? How do you deal with that when you're kind of in that funk that hits where it's not necessarily 100% related to can I turn on the dialysis machine or not? I'm just not mentally in the game right now. How do you get back? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, last night I bawled my eyes out because I'm watching this beautiful show about a woman having cancer. And so I can't stop myself because everything she's saying, I feel the same thing on a daily basis. And I, my biggest thing is allow yourself to be sad, allow yourself to have those moments, but don't ever let it go past a day. See, and and mine is when she does have those, I mean, she's, she's valid to have them. She's going through a lot. I just call them tear duct cleanings. And she, so she has them and my job is just to make her laugh. So I just do jokes and all that stuff. And then on the care partner side, it is, it, it's a lot. And when I tell her I'm going for a motorcycle ride or I'm going up to the property, that means I need some time. And we both kind of understand that there's no, when we say that it's okay, Go. Yeah. Go have fun. I'll see you in a couple hours. Yeah. I and same that. with, her, you know, she doesn't want to do treatment or something like that. Well, you know, she's like, medical's my entire life. I'm like, yeah, you're right. It is. You know, so I just go to sleep. I'll hook yeah. you up while you're sleeping. You know, or we can always do it the next day. And that's the good thing about home dialysis is 
we do it on our schedule. So if she wants to go out with friends and, you know, because, you know, people plan things at the drop of a dime and they can call and say, hey, can you come do this? Can you do this? You know, with medical, sometimes it's tough, but with home, yeah, go. It means I just stay up late and I'll hook you up later, later that night or we'll do it the next day. So. And I think, I think if people remember that with everything that happens to you, that's bad, absolutely everything that happens that's bad, there is a silver lining and you just have to remember to find that. And just yeah. laugh, just have fun. I love you that. Know, life is you know, so. um, resilience, one of the tools of resiliency is to make meaning of what's happening to us, right? And so it's up to us to make that meaning be positive. We can choose either direction. We might as well find the lesson learned, the value inside the difficulty. And there's always something. I love that. You guys are amazing. I, I know for myself, like people ask me, like you were saying my future, my future, I will spend the rest of my life talking to patients and getting them to go home and getting them to get their lives back. And the reason I do that is because I made a lot of mistakes on the way. And so I don't want anybody else to have to make those mistakes in this process. So if I can sit there and tell you, oh, don't take that medication. This is going to happen. Instead, do this one. If I can do that, it makes meaning to all the things I went through and it makes them all worth it. And we've made lifelong friends all around the country. Um, You know, we have friends in Colorado, we, you know, and she's talking to other patients. I'm talking to care partners and all that stuff just left and right. We've made some amazing friends throughout the process. And it's mostly when they were at the end, we had uh, somebody that just moved to Cal- California, send me a message saying, you literally saved my life. She was moving to California to say goodbye to her family. Mm. And when she went to talk to her in a clinic, just what, about a month ago, yep. She and, and her husband, the help on her, he's like, she's done. She doesn't want to do this anymore. And once they told her story and we and kind it, of explained it, was, it to him. It was crazy because this is a 46-year-old beautiful woman who has this husband that's sitting next to her that just adores her. And I'm like, lady, it can be better. You can have the life that you want. And I think she got on the group. She saw the fun that we were having. And then she sent a message saying, you saved my life. Wow. And the husband kind of sent me the same thing, basically saying, thank you. Thank you. All right. Show me this and show me this. Yeah. I love so many tools of resilience today. I love what you said several times. Stop telling me it can't be done. Just tell me how it can be done or let me figure out how it can be done. If you think it can't be done, watch me. I love your, your attitude. Your, your mindset is definitely one of resilience to that looking for the how rather than the why, um, choosing to find that meaning or create the meaning if it's not naturally there well you're going to you're going to create some meaning out of the things that happen and just never giving up but letting yourself have the space to feel or or take a break whether that's because you're just going to cry yourself to sleep tonight or go for a long motorcycle ride but recognizing that you both of you as the, as the care partner and as the patient need to be able to hit reset you need to be able to give yourself that space um this has been a very inspiring conversation. And again, like Michelle and I both said, your energy is awesome and contagious. And that positivity for life really has propelled us forward. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for reaching out and being willing to share your story. And we say always to all of our listeners, 
If you're listening to someone else's story, odds are you've got your own story to share too. And the details might be different, but those lessons learned and those tools developed can be so helpful to other people. So if you're listening to this podcast, thank you. We hope you have enjoyed what you've heard today. Find us on your favorite podcast platform and give us a like and a rating and a review. And then take the next step and reach out to us and and tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. And we'd love to share that here on the show. You can find us on social media at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast or email us at rrpodcast at ksl.com. And remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.